Okay, so chapter eight, choosing the subjects for meditation. Now, you know, I start off the question: how many, how many choices do you have for meditation? And in the beginning of the book, the author used the illustration of a smorgasbord or a buffet at a restaurant. Now, I had to laugh about that because ten years ago that would have been a good thing for me. Uh, I don't like buffets anymore. <laughs> One, because I abuse them, and two, I always worry about who's been there before me. So, um, anyway, but the idea behind that with the, the, the buffet is that, you know, it's, it's amazing when you think about that this book, and I don't use that in a light sense, this book, but God's Word is instruction for really all of life. I mean, there is... There is not anything in life that the Lord does not talk about in the Bible. Now, it doesn't tell you, it doesn't say what medicine you're supposed to take or, you know, specifics. But as far as instructions for how we are to live, how we are to eat, how we're to interact with it, I mean, uh, and how we're to know our Creator. It's all, it's all there. And it's, it's just, uh, it's a marvel to me. I mean, I guess it shouldn't be because God himself wrote it. But the point I'm making is that uh, for all of life, everything we ever ever need to, to, to live on this earth. Now, that doesn't mean that it makes living on this earth easy, but it does mean that we don't have to go through this life without any encouragement or help of uh, our Father in Heaven. So, so he talks about, okay, the, the, the buffet example. So where do I start when I want to meditate upon the things of God? And he warns, uh, he warns about being careful not to become overwhelmed or to drown yourself with what should I meditate upon. I mean, have, have any of you ever been in a situation where you had so many things to do you didn't know which one to start with. I think all of us have been there and are there. And so he makes it a point that we need to learn how to determine, you know, what things specifically we need to meditate upon and how we go about that. Because uh, it's not like some would take the Bible and just open it up and say, oh, this is what it said in this in Zechariah, so that's what I'm supposed to meditate today. Although you could do that, but he gives a little bit more structure for that. Um, Richard Baxter, one of the Puritans, said, Meditation hath a large field to walk in and hath as many objects to work upon as there are matters and lines and words in Scripture. So as many things as you can think of to meditate on the Word of God, there are portions of Scripture uh, for those. Um, so... I guess one thing I wanted to ask before we go any further here, and it, it's, it doesn't necessarily pertain, pertain to meditation and finding a subject, but I'd like to know from a couple of you how you read the Bible. And what I mean by that is what type of uh, method do you use when you read the Bible? Do you read just straight through, or do you read a New Testament, Old Testament? I'm curious if a couple would give their 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 uh, ex experience. Go ahead. I go straight through. Okay. 
Just straight through. Okay? Anybody? anybody Charlie? I use McCain's. Which is generally an Old Testament, New Testament. Okay. Anybody else? I mean, those covers a lot right there. Uh, yes? Okay, so you read a psalm and then you do the gospels. What about the rest of the Bible? Okay. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, I'm pretty much the way uh, Mr. Greg said there. I I just read from. What beginning to end, and one thing I have found is, and actually just in the last year, that as I go through and I read, if I have a book, like my last one that really was the book of uh, Job, that I feel like I get to the end and there were things I'd like to know more, I'll go back and read that book again and then start going forward. And I'm that way now. I'm in the book of Psalms, and I'm I'm at about Psalms 50, and I sort of just determined that yesterday. I said, you know, there are things here. Even though I, I generally my reading style is I read one or two chapters every day, but I said, you know, there's just too much I'm missing. I've got to go back and do this again before I go forward because it's still fresh in my mind. You know, if I if I stay in that book. So I'm just curious how you. Uh, Read and then also it talks about in in this chapter about choosing subjects that uh, <clears throat> that we will come across what they call specific or general truths. There may be specific things that you are dealing with in your life that may require your meditation be more oriented upon that, uh, as opposed to a more general truth such as you know the majesty of God okay that's a big subject the heinousness of our sin that's a big subject but to maybe drill down more on those uh, David wrote in Psalms 119.96 I have seen an end to all perfection but thy commandment is exceedingly broad because the word of God is wonderfully grand uh, or because the word of God is wonderfully grand, the believer must leap, learn to reap the harvest by working it section by section and subject by subject. This brings the harvest through to bear on one's own thinking and experience. So in other words, one of the things that we should use in choosing subjects for meditation would be to think about things that are going on in your life that you're dealing with specifically uh, at this time. And <clears throat> so in, that would be different for, for each of us. And it's sort of like when you're meditating upon the things of God in that manner where you take specific things, it's like finding jewels or nuggets of truth that you've never encountered before. Uh, recently, as we've been going through the, the series on the Beatitudes, there are things that I have thought about and meditated about on the Beatitudes that I'd never quite thought about before. I'm not going to go into it, but like, for instance, it's 
says we're salt and light. I always looked at that as they were two metaphors for the same thing. But salt and light have two different things that they do. And so how does that apply in our life? So uh, that's been something that, you know, has been very helpful. So, so how do we choose an appropriate subject for uh, meditation? In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says that, I have it here, all scripture, I can do it partially, but um, all scripture is breathed out of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, <clears throat> and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, right there in the book of Timothy, it says that the Bible is there to uh, help us with all the areas that we may encounter. And so as you go through your, your meditating on the Word of God, <clears throat> there may be at times when there are portions of Scripture that are more uh, pertinent than others. Does somebody want to read for me Proverbs 25.11? Somebody have that real quick? They can read it. Okay. Read that one more time. A word that he's spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Right. So, very, very uh, specific and, and beautiful things that God has given us in his word. So, one of the things it says to help us in, in determining what are the type of things that we uh, should be uh, meditating upon and how to find those things, it gives four things. It says, one, to be simple. In other words... Pick out easy subjects maybe at first, you know, the love of God, uh, as opposed to trying to explain the Trinity or what's going to happen at the end of time, you know, uh, where we find out who is right, the post-millennialist, the premillennialist, or, or the amillennialist, you know. So it says, be simple in your approach, be balanced. Do not get stuck on one subject, but vary in your choices for meditation. It says be practical. Um, you know, just to study the Word of God, I would never say just to study, just to study it is of no benefit. But it says choose subjects that stir your heart. There are certain things that are on the hearts and minds of each of us. And it says pick those things uh, that, that, that are of interest that stir your heart, that uh, are concerns in your life. And then it says, be fitting. Choose subjects that are uh, appropriate for your current situation. So that could be, you could be going through a difficult time. Like, not to bring it up, but, you know, Charlie is dealing with the death of his father. Okay, so there are passages in Scripture, you know, what is the hope of the believer? Uh, and we all have different things that, that we go through. It could be in our work. We have things that we encounter that we don't we don't understand, you know, or or like, you know, myself. Why when you try to do the right thing, do people get upset? You know, I mean, there's just any number of, of things. But Thomas White, one of the Puritans, said one of the primary burdens of the Puritans in choosing the right subject, he said the believer must be flexible and choose what is fitting to the current circumstances in your life. Uh, this was actually White's first rule in the choice of the subject for meditation. Find out what is most suitable 
the dispensation of God's providences. So, think about, before as you enter into what to meditate upon, think about the things that, that uh, you're going through at that time. He uses the example of Joseph. You know, Joseph, when he fell or he was in the presence of Potiphar's wife and she wanted him to sin, how, you know, that would be an example, right? That At that time, you know, Joseph needed to meditate upon the purity that God says that we must keep with our bodies. So that would be a subject uh, there to, to discuss. Another thing is, comment in the book it says and think about this it says the mind of man is the mill of God now what does that mean somebody want to attempt the the mind the mill of God or the mind of man is the mill of God what does that mean now come on I know somebody Right. What do you think of when you think of a mill? What's it do? It grinds, right? You can eat those uh, wheat grains or kernels, but they probably wouldn't make very good bread or they wouldn't make whatever you're making with it, but you grind them up and make flour out of them, right? And then you can use that. It's much more workable. So reading God's Word is, is um, our mind. God uses it as a mill sift through that so they give four suggestions for selecting a topic for meditation one to choose one specific subject at a time and that may be very difficult for many of us to pick one thing because when we look at ourselves and see how we are relative to what God wants us to be we may be overwhelmed and so it says we should keep that the one subject at a time. It also says that we should pick circumstances that in your life, like I think of those of you that are young mothers and young dads, you know, raising your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And when they get older, you still have to think about those things because now your children are on their own in many respects, but you're still called upon to provide wisdom and, and understanding and, and to help them through the different things of life. So anyway, um, so it says we're to choose uh, a subject that will practically benefit and advance our personal godliness. So if there's an area in your life that you struggle with, like I'll give you an example, we're, we're all growing in our understanding of how we are to use the Lord's stuff, right? We all come from different backgrounds, uh, different practices, some biblical, some not biblical, but that's a subject of meditation. How does God want us to spend his day? So that's something there. Um, so there is a vastness, the subtitle here is the vastness in the subjects in Puritan meditation. Um, you know, it said the Puritans started with, when they tried to decide what they wanted to meditate or what, what areas were going on in their life, if they didn't have something specific, they would sort of take a systematic 
approach or a systematic the- theological approach to Scripture. What does that mean when I say systematic theology? What would that mean to you? How would you explain that? Peter, how would you explain a systematic theological approach to studying the Bible? Well, I think what, they, what they're really saying is systematic theology is when we look at the Bible from beginning to end, God has a theme or he has a story that he's giving to us through his word. You know, I mean, we could basically summarize by saying God created man and woman in the garden. They sinned. God, prevent, God provided a way of salvation, redemption for them, and then he sent his son, he died on the cross for our sins, that those that were the elect may be uh, uh, saved from their sin, and then he has a plan or hope for them after death because we all have to pass through the, through the uh, valley of death unless the Lord should return before that time. So what, what is this book, the Bible, trying to say to us from beginning in? What is the theme? That would be sort of your systematic theology in a very... Uh, broad sense of the word. So it says that rather than taking that on as a whole, we should take one specific subject at a time. Again, coming back to where are you in your life? What are what are the things that uh, are troubling troubling you? Uh, and and look for places in the Word of God where it addresses those. And it should be a subject that should be uh, familiar with us. Why do we want to meditate on specific things that we may be going through in our life? Why would that be important? What does that help us do? Does it not meditating on those things since we're sinners, we still have the first Adam living in us, we struggle in those areas that meditating on certain things that we struggle with that that meditation helps us overcome those sin. Um, I would say that that's, that's something that's been very important in my life. And I would also share this one thing in my life that uh, when we meditate, we really meditate it is on the power of God that is able to change us from whatever it is we're struggling with in that regards. I know as a young man in my early Christian life, there were certain things that I really struggled with. And I, my approach was a very humanistic, like I just have to toughen up and not do this. And I realized, hey, you know what? You're a failure. <laughs> you know, there's no chance that you're going to overcome this. You might, on the surface might make others think that you are, have, you know, you're something that you're not. But, you know, and I I continually failed. And it was only when I realized that, no, that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth, 
to redeem me and to save me from the things that I couldn't save myself. Uh, I know I, I give the example that, and this is a this is a confession I make, but I said when I was when I would struggle with different things, I used to say this. I'm shocked that I said this, but I used to say, you know, if it weren't for the fact that I'm saved from hell, I'd rather be a happy sinner because I'm a miserable Christian. Okay, because I couldn't I couldn't achieve. And uh, what I was, you know, victory over the sin I was facing in my life. And when I came to the understanding of the Reformed faith, where, you know, it's all of God and nothing of me. I mean, it was like a huge burden was taken off me because I could say I'm a failure. And it's only because of Jesus Christ that I'm anything. So... Um, Anyway, and then one of the other things that they state in, in the book as far as meditating upon, and I don't think we do this enough, it's med to meditate on the horrible and heinous nature of sin. Okay? We make excuses for that. And I'm probably going to stop here because it's quarter till, but I want to talk a little bit about this. How many of you have been guilty of saying, well, maybe I've done wrong, but... I'm not as bad as Justin. <laughs> you ever do that? You ever do that as a church? Well, we may we may not do everything right in our church, but we're not like the other churches over here. You know? Guilty. How many of you have done that with friends and spouse? You know, you do something wrong and you're and when you can or if someone does something wrong, you confront them. And the response to you is, well, you do this, okay? And that may be very true, that, that the other person does this. But have we ever considered the sin that we commit? How heinous it is before God? Um, and I think that's something that uh, in really for us to properly be able to meditate on the things of God and really for those to soak into our lives, we really have to see sin as it is. Uh, we have to see it as horrible, heinous, and then can we, at that point, can we really earnestly begin to um, overcome it. It says in the end of the book here, or at the end of this section, sin is feasting upon the most rotten, spoiled, filthy garbage and spitting it into the loving face of our Savior. Think about that. Feasting, what does that mean? Thinking, meditating, dwelling upon the most rotten, spoiled, filthy garbage and spitting it into the face of our Savior. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there because of time. Um, let's just close in prayer. Oh God, and Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand how we are to use it, how to meditate upon it, and how uh, it will expose the sin and evil in our lives. Father, I pray that as we worship you this day, 
that uh, our focus may be on you and our worship of you. And that, Father, that you would bring those things to light and that you would give us hearts of flesh and not hearts of stone. But we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.